I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. I'm Allison Langer. During the month of August 2021, we are running an episode every Wednesday. We have selected four listener favorites we don't want you to miss. Back after the break. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. This is Andrea Askowitz, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Today, we are revisiting episode 30, because sometimes these awesome episodes get lost in your feed, and this is one of my faves. We hope you enjoy the show. Who could I be without fear? That's funny you should ask. I've just picked up my pen and paper for my first daily prompt and my first real attempt at giving writing a shot. Writing has always been a passion of mine, yet I never put it to use other than the papers that were demanded of me in college. After years of being stagnant and not writing anything but a grocery list or a record of bills, I've began my journey. On Mother's Day, a gift to myself, I guess you could say. It's been wrapped up and tucked away in my closet, waiting for me to pull off the pretty ribbon and rip open the paper. Wow, it's everything I ever wanted. A purpose, a dream, something to pursue other than the next paycheck. So you ask, who could I be without fear? A writer. That was Jackie Chadwick, a listener from Jasper, Georgia. And this is Writing Class Radio. We bring you true stories from our actual writing class and a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher of the class. And I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class. Together, we produce this podcast to bring you into our writing class. The stories people write are awesome. I want everyone to hear them and get inspired to write. So Andrea and I love this class for different reasons. I love to pour my heart out on paper and read it out loud. Well, I don't actually love to do it. It's just what happens. I write about a bad date, a friend's death, single motherhood. I'm all heart. Andrea loves tearing our stories to shreds, cutting the parts that don't serve the story. She asks, what is the story about? And then helps to find the answer. She loves the craft, the art. You make me sound like I have no heart. Okay, well, we're 51% heart then. And 49% art. (laughs) That's all you get. All right. This episode is going to be a little different. I always tell my students to take classes with other teachers. I just think it's smart to get a different perspective. So today we're bringing you a guest teacher. She's one of my favorite teachers in the world, Joyce Maynard. She has 17 books and has been writing for 50 years. She started when she was 13. I asked Joyce to deconstruct one of her essays to see what goes into writing a great story. In this episode, you'll get her secrets. Did I tell you how I met Joyce? No. I don't think you've ever told me this story. Okay, so 11 years ago, I was at the Miami Book Fair, and this was before I was married, and that's relevant because um, I got a total crush on her. So I stumbled in on her panel, 
And um, I didn't know her or at all. But um, she had a co-panelist, and the panelist was late. So Joyce just started addressing the audience. And she told this awesome, I mean, I I can still remember the story 11 years later. And it was just compelling and beautiful. And also, she looks like a cross between Susan Sarandon and Goldie Hawn. She's so adorable. She looks like both of those women. So she was like up there in front of everybody, like bouncing and like she has big boobs. But I was... Is this story going somewhere? Yes. I was completely captivated by her storytelling. It wasn't just her boobs? No. So after the panel, I was standing in line to get my book signed. And um, I overheard her talking about a workshop that she gives in Guatemala and she was saying that the year before a man went, one it's usually women, but a man went and she said to she said to the woman in front of me, that man became my sweetheart. So then it was my turn. I was like, I want to be your sweetheart. And she's like, Well, you you better come to my workshop. So she, <laughs> like that. She's like, that she'll do anything for a book. Okay, now I like her. She'll do anything. Right. But you know what I did? I schlepped my ass to Guatemala. And you know I do not like going places. And it was so freaking awesome that I went like two years later. And then that year I was like, Joyce, I'm going to teach next to you. I'm going to teach here with you. Because sometimes she has a guest teacher. And then a few years later, she invited me to be her guest teacher. And it was so much fun. Has she invited you back? (laughs) (laughs) Is she still doing the workshop? (laughs) Joyce, why am you inviting me back? (laughs) She is still doing the workshop. She does them every year in January. She, if, okay, so listener, if you are serious about getting great as a writer, go to Joyce's Guatemala workshop details on our website. Last week I called Joyce. I asked her, what makes a good story? What are your secrets? What were some of your writing mistakes? My first question was, what gets you writing? That's very teacherly of you. Thank you. <laughs> I think. You. Here's Joyce. We have certain core experiences that have shaped us, that are our, our obsessions. That will be the engine to which you attach your work. The, the intersection between my dream of a family, the family I hoped I would be part of, and the reality of finding myself for most of my children's childhood, a, a single parent, was it a, a theme that I went back to again and again, both in my nonfiction, which is what we're mostly talking about today, I think, and my, my fiction. It's, there's a sort of, I didn't do this consciously, but I look at my novels lined up on the shelf and almost every one of them has a single mother as a protagonist. That's not a story that you sort of do once. You, it's part of who you are. I have revisited many of the same stories, but at different moments in my life. In fact, the story that I'm going to be sort of taking apart with you is one that was written many years ago. It has to do with the the death of my marriage and rage um, that I don't really feel anymore. How many times did you write about the death of that marriage? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I went back to it again and again. You know, my mother died um, when I was 35 years old, which is to say... 28 years ago. And the loss of my mother is one that I have written about so many times coming from very different places. It's writing about um, 
her chutney and the fact that I started out after her death with about 28 precious jars of her chutney, which was the last food she ever made that I could eat, and going down to the very last jar. Um, that's one way to talk about my mother. Another is to talk about turning the age that she was when she died, which will happen to me rather soon. That's a story I haven't written yet. Those are all stories about the death of my mother coming from very different directions. I think it's important for us to recognize the things that, you know, that we need to go back to again and again. What happened when you got to the last jar? The last jar of chutney. Oh, um, well, you know, I, I hate to sort of ruin a good story by just getting to the punchline. So I have to backtrack and say that I, I, I sometimes teach this chutney piece because it is a, it, it, it is a, container for a very big theme, you know, dealing with the loss of a mother through a very small thing, chutney. Um, so I, I wanted to build up the tension and I argued that you can make huge tension over, you know, the killer stalking you and coming closer and closer to your house in the middle of the woods late at night when you're all alone, or the char jars of chutney slowly whittling down to the single digits. So that's what I tried to do in an essay that was probably about 850 words. And I finally get to the last jar and it's a sacrament. I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm going to just have this one by myself. And I open it up and there is mold. I'm dealing once again with the aftermath of the death of a deeply beloved person, my husband, this year. And I am once again slowly letting go of things, things, objects. And I'm an objects person. And I, I'm uh, sitting here right now in a shirt that was his. Um, but uh, why would I be holding on to his motorcycle that I'm never going to ride? Have I sold it yet? No. Um, will I write about that? Possibly, yes. And, and I might not need to because um, I don't tell every story and I'm rather more selective now about the ones that I do. But that's a theme. It's important to recognize what your themes are. Joyce has a new memoir coming out in September called The Best of Us. It's about the love she found relatively late in life and then the loss. You can pre-order The Best of Us from your local bookstore or any online retailer. Now a word from our sponsor. Stay tuned because after the break, Joyce reads a story of her own and lets us into her editing process. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. We're back with Joyce Maynard. The story she's going to read is titled Letting It Fly. It was originally published in 1997 in the New York Times Lives column. Here's Joyce. So the first paragraph I always say to my students is the, the curtain rising paragraph. It's the point of entry. It's how the world is before the world changes. And your piece is going to be about the world changing. But first we have to know what the world was before it changed. So here goes. 
Seven years after I separated from my children's father, it was still hard going back to our old house. I knew that house so well, I could find my way around in the dark. I knew where the wild trillium came up in the woods out back of the garage and where the lady slippers grew. I knew every knot in the floorboards. And that's the end of paragraph one. Could have said 500 things about that house. I knew it so well. But if you choose three good ones, you don't need the other 497. Um, so lesson there. And certainly another lesson that I talk to a lot about my students is going from abstract concepts like I knew that house like the back of my hand, which I would not recommend in anybody's piece of writing, to giving pictures to what knowing a house well looked like. After my marriage ended, I moved to a small city, 30 miles from that house, and my children continued to spend every other weekend with their father. Sundays were designated my time to pick them up. Our children found some kind of rhythm, transporting their brown paper grocery bags filled with clothes from one house to the other and back again. But I'd rather have driven a hundred miles in any other direction than make that particular trip. Usually, when I'd get to our old house, my former husband would be there, standing in the doorway. But one Sunday, late last winter, he and our older son had gone off with friends, so I was only picking up our younger boy, Willie. And for the first time in ages, I stepped into my old kitchen. I believe that we need to be conscious of every single choice of words. Sundays were designated my time to pick them up. Why do I say designated? Because there was a court involved, and I want you to feel it. A bitter taste rose in my throat, like what happens when you think you're going to throw up, but you don't. I stepped into the hallway and glanced at the bed where all three of our babies were born. I went back to the kitchen, ran my hand over the wood of the counter, where I must have prepared a thousand meals and looked out the window to an eerie and beautiful streak of light from a full moon slashing across new-fallen snow. I remembered another full moon night when my husband and I had skated on black ice on the pond down the road. And another full moon night, when we'd fought so bitterly, I'd paced the rooms of this house until dawn, lying down briefly next to first one of my sleeping children and then another, unable to find sleep. This is a piece about a woman whose marriage has ended. If I'm going to speak about loss, this is a really important lesson for every writer. We need to first know what was lost. I wrote a novel once about a girl whose, whose mother died when she was 13. And there'll be a certain inherent just sort of poignancy about re knowing a child's mother has died. But if we're going to have a girl with a dead mother, I want to first see the alive mother. Or at least I want to eventually see the alive mother. So I wanted to summon an image of my marriage at its best, skating on black ice. I wanted to summon the intimacy of that marriage. My children were born in that house. They were born on that bed. That ups the stakes for you. I was revisiting in a very animal way the place where I gave birth. Mm -hmm. 
This wasn't even close to the first time I felt that bitter taste. I had it the day, seven years ago, that I drove a U-Haul filled with my belongings down this driveway. The day I sat in a courtroom, hearing a guardian ad litem evaluate my performance as a mother. I could have risen from my chair and put my fist through a wall that day. The surprise was discovering that years later, the wild rage I felt in the early stages of divorce seemed to have flared up again. Suddenly, I felt the urge to paint graffiti on the walls, smash dishes. Although, if you'd walked in the room at that moment, all you would have seen was a 42-year-old woman looking out a window, not saying a word. This paragraph is about context. I want you to understand the origins for the feeling that I'm going to be describing later. I want to always give a picture to a feeling. I don't just want to say I was you know, unbelievably mad. I want you to see it. So I had the urge to paint graffiti on the walls. I had the urge to smash dishes. Those are pictures of rage. There actually was, in the original version of this, I had written, I wanted to pee on the floor. That was true. I did want to do that. And that kind of goes back to that whole sort of animal nature of this woman's behavior. Um, the New York Times took that one out. And they were, maybe they were right. It might have been a little bit much for the New York Times readership, but that was the original. Now comes the hard part of this story. On the kitchen counter lay my ex-husband's screw gun. I picked it up and palmed it as if it were a 45. I put it down again, picked it up, and tucked it under my jacket and walked out the door. Now comes the hard part of this story. I could have just begun the paragraph with, on the kitchen counter lay my ex-husband's screw gun. I want to signal you as a reader that something big is going to happen now, big in my universe that not all details are equal. And this one you should pay particular attention to. I don't want you to miss it. If somebody's going to do something with a gun, first we need to, the camera needs to actually focus on the gun. Then, like a person in a dream, I saw myself raising my arm the way my two sons have taught me when we're playing catch, and I let that screw gun fly. I watched it land in a clump of snow-covered bushes. I walked back into the house and called to my son. Time to go home. By the time I got back to my own house, I felt sick with shame and embarrassment at what I'd done. Monday morning, I tried to work, but all I could think about was this man I used to be married to, looking for his screw gun and realizing that it had disappeared the same night I'd come to his house when he wasn't there. I saw his face twisted into a mask of justifiable rage. I'm not the same person emotionally and in a maturity way as I was when I was 42. I'm also not the same writer. I think I'm a better one. And I would now take out a number of things from this piece, including I felt sick with shame and embarrassment. I don't think I need to explain. Palmed the gun like a 45. I think just palmed the gun and you're going to know like a 45. Just after noon, I put on my jacket and headed out to my car. 
As I drove, it came to me that the worst thing about divorce is not what the other person does to you or how he behaves, but the strange and terrible behavior divorce produces in your own self. After an ugly divorce, someone who used to love you reshapes his view of you into that of a hateful and monstrous person. That Sunday night, I turned into her. I do allow myself interpretation, and I'm not a big fan of it. Mostly, I want you to do the interpreting and me to give you the raw material. Not the raw material, the very carefully selected material that allows you to interpret. But this, I felt as if I had, by this point in the piece, earned the right to reflect on what it means. As I turned the final bend in the road leading up to my old house, I saw with relief that my ex-husband's car wasn't there. So I walked over to the clump of bushes where I'd thrown the gun. At first, I couldn't spot it. Then I saw the handle, just barely sticking up out of the snow. I dried the gun off on my shirt and carried it onto the porch, where I set it on a table. I didn't put it back where I'd found it, because to do so, I'd have to enter the house. And it wasn't my house anymore. I love people who show their ugly side, because then my ugly side is not quite as bright. Don't you? I do. When people show their ugly side, they are telling us their truth. And then we know we can trust them. That's what I love. About That's someone's... how you love me, right? Yes. <laughs> I don't know that your ugly side is any less bright because of Joyce's, but uh, I love both of them. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it gave me closure. I felt like the story was over and it was okay to end there, and I, I totally felt it. It wasn't my house anymore, and we she, get it. She showed us the change. Yeah, she showed... That's true. Yeah. She's a master. She's so good at drawing pictures with words. And with Joyce, every word matters. You know, movies don't have a resounding last sentence. They have a, an image. They leave you with an image. What I do in my writing now is leave you with a picture. It's a very carefully chosen picture that signals where I have landed. If you want to read the transcript of Joyce's story and lesson, we put it up on our website under Craft Talks. We also put up a list of Joyce Maynard's secrets for writing a great story. Thank you, Joyce. We love your ugly. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you love this podcast, go tell your friends. And teach them how to load a damn podcast. Oh, do your friends not know how to load a podcast still? You're, you're, um, you know, you're showing our age. I know, whatever. These damn 50 year olds don't know how to load podcasts. Go to our website and donate to Writing Class Radio so we can keep bringing you stories. Then rate us on iTunes. If you have a business or a startup, let me help you tell that story. I'll come to your office and teach all your employees how to better articulate why they do what they do. Because stories sell. And Allison is also for hire. She'll come to your retreat and help guests write through their shit so that they can live free. Doesn't that sound good? Yes. 
check our website. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Daniel Correa, and additional music by Andy G. Cohen and Pottington Bear. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Is that too much to ask? It's kind of better to just ask one thing. Oh. How many did I ask? Three? Yeah. Tell your friends. Donate. Rate us. That's three. All right. Three. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.